You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Good morning, church. Wonderful to see you, to be together. For those who are maybe outside, for those in overflow as well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Week number one in our series here has been, What is the Church? Week number two was, who is the head of the church? Of course, there's only one answer to that question. It's Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the King of kings, the great I am, the one who is awesome. There's no one like him. He's just the best. It's his church. He's the one in charge. Again, he is the Lord of glory. This week, we ask and answer the question biblically, who are the leaders of the church? Who are the leaders of the church? So we're laying a foundation as we go here. I hope you can pick that up, and I hope that's been very helpful to you. And as we go along, it's so great to be renewed right now in our ecclesiology. Ecclesiology, of course, being the study of the church. It's such a good time for this, to remind ourselves with all the chaos and confusion, and let's be honest, the distance. It's good to be renewed in mind as to what The Bible teaches us what Jesus teaches us about His church and the way it's designed and the purposes within. And on that note too, God's design and purpose of His church, you can imagine then how much God cares about the leadership of His church. Like just think about, step back, just just, just long enough, far enough to think about how much Jesus Christ cares about His clear design for His church and the clear leadership within his church. Because as has been often said, as the leaders go, so the church goes. Here's the reason you need to care about this message today, no matter where you find yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ. Not entirely, but very much appropriately, the health of the church is always in massive correlation with the strength of the leadership of the church. This is why God provides such details in both character and calling of leaders within his church as well. We have all felt, I pray, the blessing of strong leadership in the church. All of us, or almost all of us, have also, though, felt the pain of failed leadership in the church as well. See, this is why you and I should care, and this is why God cares about this message right now, of course, coming directly from His Word. With that, let's get our Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 5, near the end of your New Testament, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. Turn there with me, please. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll be looking primarily at the first five verses. 1 Peter 5, so I exhort the elders, the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, being examples 
to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. How awesome is that? When the chief shepherd appears. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Let's start here with our passage outline today. Number one is this, the leaders of the church, elders. The leaders of the church, elders. Just before we go any further in our text, I want us to look at a slide here as we understand what the New Testament teaches us about spiritual leadership in the church. I want to make sure you know that I know where we're going and we're going together. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, of course, is the head of the church. He is the one who reigns and rules, but he has given to his church two main offices of leadership. The first one is the office of elder. The elders of the church, which we will go through primarily today. The second is the office of deacons. This isn't a perfect description. This is really taken from our website, by the way, too. But we can describe what elders do, again, succinctly, not perfectly, but they serve by leading. The primary, most important spiritual leadership over the church is given to the office of elders, where you can say in comparison, the deacons, in a more practical leadership, they would lead by serving. That's not a perfect description, not a perfect description, but it's helpful. It helps summarize, again, uh, the gist, again, of what's happening biblically. So the elders, the spiritual leadership, again, we've said this for so many years, the doctrine of the church, the direction of the church, and the discipline within the church. These are what the elders are primarily. We're going to see this today from our text. Whereas the deacons, more practical as they serve. Uh, things like administration and all that, that encompasses within the church. The care of the finances or benevolence as seen again in examples in Acts chapter 6 and the different scripture references we have here. So again, not a perfect description, but a helpful description that Jesus Christ is the head and we have two offices that are given again for the New Testament church. Today, we primarily unpack what it means for the spiritual leadership for the elders again in the church because this is by far the bulk of the instruction in the New Testament towards the office of elder as we will see directly in our passage today. Again, verse 1, notice, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of in the glory that is going to be revealed. So notice right away, church, the exhortation is to the elders, not to the deacons here. It's to the elders, the primary spiritual leaders of the local church. The very mention of the word elders here says so much about God's design for leadership in God's church. This is important, a bit of a side note, but important as well. Notice Peter says, I exhort uh, the elders as a fellow elder among you. Notice that, a fellow elder. That's a far cry from Peter thinking he's the Pope. Fair? As a fellow elder. Now we understand a fellow elder, Peter, Paul, remember this. Now always remember this when it comes to leadership in the church. Ready? The best of men are men at best. The best of men are men at best. We don't worship some celebrity pastor. We don't worship some man. We worship Jesus Christ. We only follow our leaders in church as long as they are leading us to Jesus Christ. The best of men are men at best. 
you put your hopes in a man, you put your hopes in a person, it's only a matter of time before they let you down because they're not Jesus. There's only one perfect head of the church, and his name is Jesus Christ. Again, let me just say over and over again, if you put too much of your hope in me, it's just a matter of time before I let you down. I'm following, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow spiritual leaders as they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word elders here is frequently used in the New Testament to refer to those who had leadership positions in the church. The church in Jerusalem had elders. Seven references to this fact in the book of Acts. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are appointed elders. They appointed elders in all the churches in their first missionary journey. When leaders visited Paul from Ephesus in Acts 20, they were called elders. In James 5, the person who is sick and needs prayer is asked to summon the elders to pray over them. The pastoral epistles, Timothy and Titus, demonstrate that elders functioned in both Ephesus and they were appointed in Crete. Tom Schreiner says, every piece of evidence we have shows that elders were widespread in the early church. Elders are mentioned by Luke, Peter, Paul, and James. Elders were found in a wide region of the Greco-Roman world, including Jerusalem, Palestine, Asia Minor, and also Crete. It's also very important to know this. All indications of elders in the New Testament point to a plurality of elders, not a single individual, a plurality of elders that carried a tremendous importance within the leadership of God's church. The plurality of elders is a gift to the church that must be received by the church. Dave Harvey says that, who's the president of the GCC, the Association of Churches We Belong to, the Great Commission Collective. Plurality of eldership in the church is a gift to the church that the church must receive as that from Christ, the gift that he gives in leadership in the church. So all that to say this on the screen for you, a church without biblically functioning elders is a church that is not functioning biblically. Look again at verse 1, our context. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, That's such sweet context. Peter is all about this all over his letters, particularly in the epistle of 1 Peter. Notice what he's saying here. The reality of suffering, the reality of glory. Hey, are you going to follow Christ? Better get ready. The reality of suffering, the reality of glory. Jesus Christ is returning. Hey, you're going to be a leader in God's church? Hey, you're going to be an elder, a shepherd in God's church? You better get ready, man. The reality of cost, the reality of suffering, but man, hang on. The reality of glory and the crown that awaits in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, this is why eldering cannot be a popularity contest. This isn't sitting down and deciding to vote on who we like most. Who's the nicest guy in the church? He won't last. Eldering is not a popularity, it's not some fluffy committee where you sit around and discuss the weather. To truly be an elder called by God in the church for a particular season, again, you must know God's calling you to do it or you won't make it. 
It is not some popularity contest. It is not a fluffy committee. It is an understanding the reality of suffering and the cost of leadership as an elder or pastor within the church, but also the expectation, the reality of the glory of Jesus Christ, who one day will return so soon. The call of elder is not for the faint of heart. And that's why there's such emphasis on character and calling of such leaders throughout the New Testament. Point number two. The calling of elders to shepherd. To shepherd. Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. This right here is the calling of elders within the church of God. Notice in verse 1, Peter says, I exhort the elders among you. Exhort means to strongly encourage in a certain direction. The exhortation now is unpacked here in verse 2. It begins with, shepherd the flock of God. So the primary function of the elders within the church is to shepherd the flock of God. Now, it's no accident that the verb for shepherd here in verse 2 is the same verb that Jesus used with Peter in John chapter 21. You might recall in John chapter 21, again after Peter's denial of Christ and he meets Christ on the beach and Jesus comes up again to Peter and he asks Peter, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? It broke Peter's heart, the anguish of that moment. He denied him three times. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And the response to each time, Jesus said, tend my sheep or feed my sheep. When Jesus says to Peter, tend my sheep, literally that is shepherd my sheep. Same verb used in verse 2 of 1 Peter chapter 5. What we learn from this is the spiritual shepherd will do his job in two main ways. Number one, and is the most important at the start, the shepherd is to feed the sheep. The single greatest role of a shepherd is to feed the sheep. Think about it. If the sheep are not fed, then the sheep will die. Interesting in John chapter 21, Jesus says to Peter twice, twice, feed my sheep. Isn't that so? Peter would be become the leader of the early church. Again, the spokesperson in the earliest of days. And Jesus says to him twice in this way, before he ascends to heaven, Peter, whatever you do, feed my sheep. It's hard to overstate the importance of the word of God within the sheep of God. To the point, right, you can groom and console and care for a sheep. You can do that for days on end, but unless you feed the sheep, that sheep might be tremendously cared for. If they're not fed, they will die. Grooming, consoling, caring is very important, but it doesn't come before the reality and the necessity that every single sheep must be fed, again, by the truth and the nourishment of the Word of God. Man is not lived by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The shepherd must feed the sheep. I am so encouraged and so delighted that for all these years, again, 18 years being within this church, that the elders surrounding me have always said the highest priority, Robbie, for what you do is to study and prepare to feed the people the word of God. That's why, again, our first pillar is proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. If there's no word, there's no life, there's no nourishment, again, there's no point. So blessed by that. Continues to this day. But the second main thing a shepherd is to do 
is to care for, protect, and nurture the sheep. I want you to see how the heart of Jesus is all through our passage here. Why? Because the most effective elder will desire the heart and follow the example of Christ, the head of the church. Again, imitate me, imitate the shepherd who imitates Christ. Please notice too, Peter here, he says, shepherd the flock. What does it say next? Shepherd the flock. Anyone? Of God. Thank you. Thank you for that one person to my left. Yes. Shepherd the flock of of God. Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep. Do you notice that? Feed my sheep. Whose flock? God's flock. Whose sheep? Jesus' sheep. How beautiful to think that we are all God's sheep. And the biblical elder will treat it as such. So when you understand it's God's flock and you understand it's the sheep that belong to Jesus, the elders don't become arrogant or over-controlling. They own nothing. They own nothing. They are shepherding God's flock. They are caring, again, for God's sheep, God's children. Next, Peter says in verse 2, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Why is that there, do you think? Like, why is that statement, I mean, it should be understood, or in some ways you think, well, that makes total sense, but yet it's there, exercising over, not under compulsion, but willingly. Peter introduces the word now, oversight, which comes from the Greek word episkopos, where we get the English word again, episcopal, episcopalian church. It literally means overseer. So Peter here is already, I wonder if you've noticed this so far, you'd have to be pretty in tune to see this. Peter has already used three different words to describe the office of elder in two verses. Can you see them there? Can you see them there? I encourage to see them, not to look at me, but to look at the Bible. That's what I encourage. Can you see the three words that are used there to describe the office of elder? They are this, elder, shepherd, and now oversight or overseer. And by the, by the way, the Greek word episkopos in Latin is supervisis, which we get our word, of course, for supervisor. Let's just break down these three words right now, though, because I want you to see this. This is very, very important. Three words to describe one office, not three words describing three different offices. We see here the word elder used throughout the New Testament, the word Presbyterian. This is emphasizing the man's spiritual maturity that is necessary, again, to be an elder in the church. We have another word right in our text, such a great passage for this, overseer. This can also be translated as bishop at different times, episkopos. This refers to the general responsibility of guardianship, of oversight, of supervision over the local church. Then you have this final word, shepherd, or it's interesting, the word pastor only shows up once in the New Testament, Ephesians 4, verse 11, and these, again, express the priority or duty of feeding or teaching the truth of God's word to the flock of God. So what's so important is these three words are used interchangeably all throughout the New Testament, not three words describing three offices, but they're three words that help unpack and explain one office. Back to our text here. Notice these two things in the same verse, verse 2. Notice the biblical elder is to be among the sheep 
and over the sheep. Look at that. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And the very next exhortation is, but exercising oversight. So the biblical elder will be with the sheep, but he will also lead the sheep. You can say it this way. The biblical elder will love both teaching and pastoring, or pastoring and preaching. Not one or the other, but both in some form, in some way. So personally, for me, right here, as my role as pastor, elder, shepherd within this church, my single greatest priority is to feed the sheep with the word of God. That is the greatest way that I love you right now. If this ceases to happen, people cease to be fed and people begin to die. Here's what I also know. One of the greatest encouragements and way to love and the pastoring and shepherding that occurs is right now in this moment, I get to love and care for and disciple and shepherd hundreds at a time. Last service, same thing. Next service, same thing. Online, whatever it might be. There's shepherding and pastoring and loving and feeding that occurs right now here, overflow and outside as the word of God is properly given and taught and applied to our lives. There's no more important aspect of my calling at this point than doing this right now. Without it again, the church cannot survive. However, Again, the elder is to love to preach and teach, but also to be among the sheep. I just look at the last, let's say, seven, eight days of my walk here at this church. Involved in a backyard blessing with multiple young families in our church and blessing of their children. Um, involved with anointing the sick with oil and a couple people in the church this past week. Involved in a leadership group of some of the top leaders in our church on Monday evenings. Engaged in marriage counseling and different aspects and conversation with friends and trying to help them. Setting up one-on-one discipleship with men in our church. Involved in a GCC pastors retreat just the past few days. 23 pastors across Canada gathering to encourage one another to be a part of that and to love them. Elders meeting on Wednesday night and part of the governance and the oversight and the caring for the church. Involved with so many other conversations and text messages and phone calls of people within our church. And all of this to understand the last seven, eight days, there's such a sense of the priority of the preaching and coming here ready to deliver this message, but also among the sheep and caring for all these people in all these different situations. That's how it's supposed to go. But then Peter says this, he says, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, but willingly as God would have you. Again, the reason he says that, because apparently the temptation for elders will be for it not to be willingly, but they would feel under compulsion to do so. Why is that said here? Here's why, ready? Because eldering is hard. If you're going to do it right, it's going to be really hard. I remember talking to an elder friend, this is several years ago, in another church. And he said, jokingly, but he said, I just finished my term. I'm free, right? He's a great man, a great elder, right? He was joking, but I get it, I get it. The sacrifice, the burden, the weight, the responsibility. There's a story of a boy who kept watching his dad, who was an elder, leave for elder meetings. And the boy looked at his mom and asked him, Mom, why does dad keep doing something he hates so much? See, that's the sad side of what can happen when it comes to under compulsion, not willingly as God would have you. What are we learning? God's word's so helpful right here, right? We're learning this. If you can't find joy within being an elder, ultimately you shouldn't be an elder. Now let me say this. There's going to be some tough days. I mean, trust me. 
there's going to be some really, really dark and hard days. But if the overarching theme, again, of a man aspiring to be an elder or one who is, that isn't, again, finding joy within it, they should not be an elder. The cost of being elder is going, if it's going to make it a job and make that person grumpy, they shouldn't be an elder. And let me just share this with you too. The, the weight of being a true elder is significant. Like I'm talking, if you're really going to go after Christ, then listen, Satan's really going to go after you. Is it any surprise in verse 8 of our text? Look at verse 8. Look what it says. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Not lost on me that that's within the context of what we're going through right now. And whenever there's a, a, a new elder about to join our team over the years, I try to say to them, I said, listen, don't be afraid, but listen, you better get ready. Like, you better get ready. The level of spiritual intensity and a spiritual attack coming upon you, your marriage, and your family, like, it's just a whole new level because Satan knows he gets to the leaders, he gets to the church. So just get ready, man, and you better be prayed up and we're praying for one another. It's going to be intense, and it is. But at the end of the day, the biblical elder will say, I'm doing this because I want to, I am called to, not because I have to. Again, Tom Schreiner says this. He says, those who serve only because they feel they must will lose their joy and the church will suffer as a consequence. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. To the point, over the years too, there's been some men in our church who have been approached to consider the path towards eldership and they have actually passed. They have said no. They have declined. And you know what? I respect that. I do. As much as I may have wanted them to please walk down this path, some over the years have declined because they realize their situation, their circumstance, whatever it might be, that this is not something they think the Lord is where because they know the weight of what's being asked of them. And in their maturity, they can say, not now. Or not this at this time. I, I respect that. I think that's wise. Then in verse 2, Peter says this. He says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. This is an indictment on the elder who's in it for the money or for the power. Greed has no place in God's church. We think of the televangelists exploiting and destroying God's people. We think of financial scandals ripping apart the church. A true elder will elder whether he is paid or not. The love of money is a serious warning for the church elder. Not to mention the elder who's seeking to gain power and prestige. How devastating that has been to the people of God in so many situations in our day. And gain here. Gain here is not only limited to money, but again, the prestige or the power, as we just spoke of. Notice in the text, too, that gain, church, gain is not the sin. What's the sin in our text? It's shameful gain. Just like money's not the issue, right? Money's neutral. What is the issue? It's the love of money. The love of money is the sin that causes a snare that ruins people's lives, what a prayer list this becomes for your elders, huh? How can we pray for the elders, man? Right here. Like 1 Peter 5 is just fantastic. 
And pray for your elders. They would serve eagerly with passion for Christ alone. And I want to say this to you too, man. In the last year and a half, with all that's gone on, all the issues, all the division. Like just think of all the issues that are dividing many of us. All the issues. People are taking present day issues and they are elevating those issues higher than the gospel. Please don't be that person. Please don't be that person. Please. They care more about present day issues than they do about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the reality of life and death and heaven and hell by the way they live and the emotion they're putting towards it. Just to say all the issues of our day and all the division that's all across, I am so thankful for the grace of God and the prayers of God's people that he has preserved the unity of our elders in a beautiful way in this past difficult season. It's not lost on me with all the chaos surrounding us that God has allowed us as men to be unified and to be caring for one another and seeking to move forward in Jesus Christ and calling the church to seek Christ with us as we try to do so by his grace and strength. And we're praying for humility within that. I'm so thankful for that because if that goes, everything goes. Even as I say it out loud, God deliver us from evil. That you will protect and keep us in the things that matter most. Look at verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock right here. Notice the contrast to being a true elder. Never domineering over the people, but rather being an example to the people. A domineering here is arrogant, dictatorial, overbearing. This can't be in the true elder. Again, we were actually in elder training this week with Dave Harvey and the GCC as elders, and he pointed out again this word domineering where we get um, our English word to lord it over someone. That can't be seen in the biblical elder. Domineering is the opposite of meekness. It's the opposite. And what is meekness? Meekness is powerful. Meekness is strength under control. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says. Meekness is not you're wimpy. Meekness is not just all weakness. I try nothing, I do nothing, I lead nothing. No, no, meekness is Christ-given strength under the control of the Holy Spirit. Being a true elder does not mean that they don't possess authority. Of course, they do. That's a very, very important part of this. A God-given, Christ-given, entrusted authority over the local church. But it means they will not abuse that authority entrusted to them by the Lord. Again, notice in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge. The NIV says those entrusted to you. But being examples, being examples, again, to the flock. Then notice, look down at verse 5 for a second. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Right. So there's this combination of oversight given by Christ to the elders of the church. And then in this case, the context, the youngers are to be subject or to follow in line willingly and joyfully under the leadership of what God has entrusted again to the church. His design for the church. And this is such an important part right here. We are living right now in a society that is so anti-authority. 
There's so much rampant rebellion, individualism, consumerism, self-determinism. It's everywhere. You don't tell me what to do. I'll do whatever I want. You can't say anything to me. That's why in the church, people, one thing goes wrong. I'm gone, man. This church stinks. I'm out of here. That's not serving me. Man, I'm finding somewhere else. And here we go. It's just, it's a product of our society. There's no authority. Authority scoffed at. It's ridiculed. It's blamed. It's just, it's just, it's just teased. It's... It's not valued at all. And yet, understanding this, listen, the very design of God for society and his church institutes a God-given authority for the greatest blessing and blessing and flourishing of the church as well. The ways of God simply work. The person who is wise will understand when it comes to human sexuality, the ways of God are blessed. When it comes to gender, the ways of God are right and blessed. When it comes to marriage, the ways of God are right and blessed. When it comes to leadership in the church and the authority entrusted to leaders in the church, the ways of God are right. Why? Because God tends to be pretty smart. And God has written down the clear instructions for us to follow. And so whenever we do that, you are blessed, I am blessed, we are blessed together. When we rebel outside of that is when we get hurt. As many, many do. They rebel within marriage. They rebel within family. They rebel within the church. And that's when people get destroyed because they leave the protection of the wisdom and the plan of God and then they're suspect and they're subject to all the attacks and the consequences again for sin of self-pride and human arrogance. The ways of God just work. But being examples to the flock, what a calling that is. Brings fear and trembling. I remember when I was first saved and did not yet have a vision for ministry. I just wanted to serve the Lord with passion. Kind of sensed a little bit of calling. I tried to run away from it. I just didn't understand the idea of it. But this tends to happen. God tends to win. So here I am all these years later. But it's interesting, you know, by the way, if you're trying to run away from God's will, good luck with that. Your days are numbered. You're toast in a good way. God's going to come for you, and he will get you. So you try to fight it, but God tends to win. But here's my point. When you're 23 years old, and you're contemplating a life of serving the Lord, it's hard to understand the weight of being an example to God's people. I mean, how could you in many ways? And trust me, every single one of our elders feels this so deeply feels it so deeply. Why? Because the enemy wants to crush you with this, man. So as recently as, what time is it? Recently as eight hours ago. Oh, I'm having a good sleep, man. And then all of a sudden you wake up. Oh, no. It's like 2.15. No, here we go. And just wait for it. Wait for it. Yes, the accusations. Here they come. Here they come. Darkness rushes in. And you're sitting there, you're lying in bed and just like severe, like for this message today, the accusations that come against me as a father and as a husband and as an elder, whatever it is, and here they come. And lying in bed, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am perfectly forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Lord, deliver me from 
from evil. Satan, say what you want. I'm a child of God, bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He has set me apart for what I'm going to do, and I will wake up. Lord, help me and faithfully serve you today again as I have all these different years. But here comes the enemy, and here come the accusations. Just the way it goes. Makes sense, man. If I was the enemy, that's exactly what I would do as well. It can be crushing. And yet the example piece is such a powerful piece. In humility, in faith, in love, Hebrews 13, 7 is very helpful here. A nice cross-reference for our passage. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What a great prayer for our church that all of this would happen. First part, middle part, the end part. That all of this would come together again. What a beautiful prayer for the leadership and the people of his church under the design of God. Loved ones, the calling of an elder is to shepherd. I just need to say this too. I need to let you know the incredible gift the elders of this church are to me. I would not be here today without them. There have been many, many dark days. There have been many, many days of absolute frustration and difficulty. And yet, the support, the strength for one another in this way, I just need you to know how aware I am of the gift of God's design of men together in leadership of the church seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, desiring humility and sincerity and simplicity in that, praying together, loving each other. Man, it is such a gift, the strength and the gift to see, again, uh, such leaders in place for the health of the church when the outsides of the church are in chaos and yet the inner workings of the church can be unified and seeking purity in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is such a gift. It makes me think, too, I wonder, you know, the young men here today, the next generation, that God will call you, maybe not to be here, maybe to be here in this way, but maybe to be a leader in the church of wisdom, of humility, of passion, of sincerity, the gift you will be to the future of the church in the days that we live, again, for such a time as this, it's hard to overstate the power of godly people in the right places of leadership. And what a vision that is. But the Bible tells us it's a noble ambition, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. If anyone desires the office of overseer, is a noble ambition, should be treated with great fear and trembling, and yet may the Lord be raising up. I mean, just sit on that for a few moments and consider the value. Again, as the leaders go, the church goes. The health of the church is largely, massively an indicator of the health of the leaders. You could be an indicator of health in a church for decades to come and the strength of what that means to serve the Lord in that way, what an awesome, what an awesome calling. On that note, here's some application for this point. The calling of an elder. Respect it. It's a fearful thing by God's design. Value it. It affects your church, and therefore it affects your life. Protect it. Pray hard for your leaders. You can just imagine, again, as the church goes... The leaders go, the church goes. Respect it, value it, protect it. Thirdly, finally, 
the motivation of elders, the crown of glory. See, where do you get that from? The Bible. Verse 4. Look at, look at verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears. Yes. Look at that. So there's shepherds in the church, but there's a chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. When he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, shepherds, elders, overseers. Wow. Notice the shepherds here of the church serve under the chief shepherd. See that? So the shepherds, the elders, are accountable to Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. What a sobering thought that is. Hebrews 13, 17 explains more for us. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Why? Notice. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Wow. This is why the book of James says, not many of you should be teachers. You will be judged with a stricter judgment. Man, as those who have to give an account. And notice the next instruction. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. You don't want to be led by elders who are groaning all the time, do you? Grumpy all the time? Discouraged all the time? No one wins in that regard. It's amazing. Some people, I, I swear, they are called to the church to make the elders groan. Well, that can't be of the Holy Spirit. It can't be. It seems like the only thing they desire to do is just to criticize, complain, and just discourage everyone. And just like, oh, man. Where would you find yourself in this mix? More of a groaner or a joyer? <laughs> Forgive my English. You know what I mean. Honestly. Honestly. In this regard. It's such a... I love how clear the Bible is here, too. It's just... As those will have to give an account. God's word is just amazing. But again, the greatest truth and motivation for all of this in verse 4 the elders in humility before the chief shepherd to receive the unfading crown of glory. Wow. So remember, when this letter, this epistle would have been read to the church is likely like in a physical gathering like this, and they would have heard this. And when the audience heard verse 4, they would think of like the crown given to the victor of an athletic contest, or the crown presented by a Roman general to a valiant soldier, or the crown that a king would wear signifying special honor and approval. The point is very clear. The elders who honor the Lord and rule well, they will be rewarded in glory. What does this look like exactly? I don't know. All believers anticipate this. That's the part of 1 Peter that Peter loves to draw out. In some way here, the elders who rule well under Christ, they can anticipate the crown of glory. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's amazing. That is awesome. All of us anticipate that. And in this context, the shepherds of the church Anticipate it with fear, but also, also with great expectancy. So how do we wrap up this message here today? I have five responses for us as a church here in response to God's clear, clear word. Response number one, let us thank God for His design for leadership in the church. For His design, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, 
And Jesus Christ has given elders as a gift to the church and the plurality of these elders and His design for the church. Secondly, obviously, we said this today, but pray for the elders of your church. Again, we all get blessed as this happens. The elders get blessed, you get blessed, we get blessed together. As we see again, as the elders go, the church goes. The strength of leadership is the strength of the church. Again, thirdly, we talked about this right now, but would you be one who causes groaning or joy to your elders? It's interesting that people in the church can either compound misery or multiply joy. It's interesting. Number four, this is directly from 1 Thessalonians 5, esteem your leaders who labor among you. You know, it's interesting that I hesitated to put this one in just because I was like, well, it's kind of awkward. He had, Robbie, don't, don't apologize for God's word. Like, it's so clear There's many such instructions like this, too, to be able to honor those in leadership and esteem those who labor among you. Rob, you don't apologize for it. It's God's word. You're not one to change it. Hold it up. I I wouldn't hesitate in any other church setting to say this with every bit of faith I have because I know the impact it is upon that church. So why is it any different here? And number five, I love this. Pray for future elders. If this doesn't happen, man, there is no church. But Jesus Christ ensures over all the generations that this will happen. The young people here right now, a vision for your life. Shepherds in the church. The calling of God, the service of the gospel. Wow, what an awesome, awesome thing. And I want you to take that oh so seriously. You know, you could have the greatest job in the world. You could be the greatest athlete in the world. You could have the most important position of prestige. There is nothing that will equate with you being called as a spiritual leader in the church of Jesus Christ that will impact and ripple all through eternity. There is nothing that's greater than that reality in what God can and will do. What a vision that is. So, as we respond to today's message through song, It's kind of hard to find a song about elders. I'm not sure that we would actually want one. But there's not, it's not hard to find a song about Jesus. And everything comes down to Jesus anyways. Everything is about Jesus Christ. So we're going to sing a song that declares our dependence and love for Jesus Christ as a church. For after all, he is the head of the church. Let's pray together, church. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now you have clearly instructed by your Holy Spirit. You have greatly encouraged. I pray that you have clarified. Some people, Lord, have never heard a message on elders in their lives today. And I pray you will warm their hearts with joy to worship you for your wisdom, your design, your love, your instruction. I pray for those who might be here today, Lord, that you will be calling in the future years to serve you in some beautiful capacity. I pray they would not fight it. I pray they would embrace it. And I pray, Lord, that they would pursue you with faith in it. Lord Jesus, you are the head of the church. And so Hope Bible Church, once again today, declares and confesses, you are awesome. You are Lord. You are good. You are the one we worship. And you are the one we look to even now. We need you, Jesus. We need you so much. 
And I'm filled with faith right now, Lord, that you are working in your church and you are building your church and you will use us as a part of your church. May it be so. Please, God, deliver us from evil. Amen, church? Deliver us from evil. Protect us. Provide for us that we might be used, Lord, to give you more and more glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.